Book 5 Chapter 1 Receive the sacrifice of my confessions offered by my tongue, which thou didst form and hast moved to confess unto thy name. Heal thou all my bones, and they shall say, Lord, who is like to thee? A man who makes confession to thee does not thereby give thee any information as to what is happening within him. The closed heart does not close out thy eye, nor the heart's hardness resist thy hand. For thou dost open it at thy pleasure, whether for mercy or for justice, and there is nothing that can hide itself from thy heat. But let my soul praise thee, that it may love thee, and let it tell thee thy mercies, that it may praise thee. Without ceasing, thy whole creation speaks thy praise, the spirit of every man by the words that his mouth directs to thee, animals and lifeless matter by the mouth of those who look upon them. That so our soul rises out of its mortal weariness unto thee, helped upward by the things thou hast made, and passing beyond them unto thee who hast wonderfully made them and there refreshment is, and strength unfailing. Chapter 2 Let the wicked in their restlessness go from thee and flee away, yet thou dost see them, cleaving through their darkness. And all the universe is beautiful about them, but they are vile. What harm have they done thee, or have they brought dishonor upon thy government, which from the heavens unto the latest things of earth is just and perfect? Where indeed did they flee to when they fled from thy face? Or where dost thou not find them? The truth is that they fled, that they might not see thee, who sawest them. And so with eyes blinded they stumbled against thee, for thou dost not desert any of the things that thou hast made. They stumbled against thee in their injustice, and justly suffered, since they had withdrawn from thy mercy, and stumbled against thy justice, and fallen headlong upon thy wrath. Plainly they do not know that thou art everywhere, whom no place compasses in, and that thou alone art ever present, even to those that go furthest from thee. Let them turn back, and behold, thou art there in their hearts, in the hearts of those who confess to thee, and cast themselves upon thee, and weep on thy breast as they return from ways of anguish. Gently thou dost wipe away their tears, and they weep the more, and are consoled in their weeping, because thou, Lord, and not any man that is only flesh and blood, thou, Lord, who hast made them, dost remake them, and give them comfort. But where was I when I sought after thee? Thou wert there before me, but I had gone away from myself, and I could not even find myself, much less thee. Chapter 3 I now set before the face of my God the twenty-ninth year of my age. There had just come to Carthage one Faustus, a bishop of the Manichees. He was a great snare of the devil, and many were caught in the snare through the charm of his speech. In fact, I found this admirable myself, but I was coming to distinguish between it and the truth for which I was then so hungry. I was concerned not with the dish, but with such knowledge as this Faustus, of whom they thought so highly, might set before me to feed upon. Report had already told me great things of him, as a man learned in all profitable learning, and especially learned in the liberal sciences. Now I had read many works of the philosophers, and retained a great deal in my memory, and I compared certain of these things with the long-winded fables of the Manichees. What the philosophers taught seemed to me the more probable, though their power was limited to making judgment of this world, and they could not pierce through to its Lord. For the Lord is high and looks on the low, and the proud he knows afar off. Nor do you draw near, Lord, to any save the contrite of heart. The proud cannot find you, not even if they have skill beyond the natural to number the stars and the grains of sand, and measure out the places of the constellations, and plot the courses of the planets. For with the mind and understanding that thou hast given them, they investigate such things. And indeed they have discovered much, and foretold many years in advance eclipses of the sun and the moon, the day, the hour, and what part should be an eclipse, and their calculations proved right. It happened as they had foretold, and they put in writing the rules they had arrived at, and these may be read today and by these rules can be foretold the year and the month of the year and the day of the month and the part of its light that sun or moon is to suffer eclipse, and it will happen as foretold. 
And men who do not know this art marvel and are amazed, and those that know it boast and are made much of, in their evil pride turning from you and losing your light. An eclipse of the sun they see so long before it happens, yet they fail to see their own eclipse actually present. They do not religiously inquire what is the source of that gift of understanding by which they inquire these lesser things. And if they find that it is you that have made them, they do not give themselves to you that you should preserve what you have made, nor do they slay and sacrifice to you what they have made themselves to be, for they do not slaughter their self-conceits like birds, nor the curiosities by which they voyage through the secret ways of the abyss like the fish of the sea, nor their carnal lusts like the beasts of the field. That you, O God, you the consuming fire, should burn up those dead cares and renew the men themselves to immortal life. They do not know that way which is your word, by which you have made not only the things that they number, but also themselves who do the numbering, and the bodily sense by which they see what they number, and the mind from which the numbering comes. And of thy wisdom there is no number. But the only begotten was himself made unto us wisdom and justice and sanctification, and was numbered amongst us and paid tribute to Caesar. They do not know the way by which they should descend from themselves to him, and by him ascend to him. They do not know this way, and they fancy themselves raised on high and shining with the stars, whereas they fall upon the earth, and their foolish heart is darkened. Much that they say of the created universe is true, but they do not religiously seek the truth, the architect of the created universe, so that they either do not find him, or if they find him and know him to be God, they do not honor him as God or give him thanks, but become vain in their imaginings, and profess themselves to be wise, attributing to themselves what is yours, and at the same time in a kind of perverse blindness, attributing their own qualities to you, so that they load with their falsehoods you who are the truth, and changing the glory of the incorruptible God into the likeness of the image of a corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed beasts, and of creeping things, and changing the truth of God into a lie, they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. All the same I remembered many truths that they had spoken of the created world itself, and I saw their theories justified by numbers and the order of time and the visible evidence of the stars. I compared all this with what Manes had said, for he wrote at great length upon such matters, and quite wildly, but I did not find in him any explanation of the solstices or the equinoxes or the eclipses of sun and moon, nor any of such things as I had learnt in the books of worldly philosophy. I was commanded to believe what Manus wrote, yet it did not harmonize with the principles I had arrived at by mathematics, and indeed by my own eyes, but was far otherwise. Chapter 4 Yet, Lord God of truth, is any man pleasing to you for knowing such things? Surely a man is unhappy even if he knows all these things but does not know you. And that man is happy who knows you, even though he knows nothing of them. And the man who knows both you and them is not the happier for them, but only on account of you, if knowing you he glorifies you as you are, and gives thanks, and does not become vain in his thoughts. For just as he is better who knows he possesses a tree, and gives thanks to you for the use it is to him, although he does not know how many cubits high it is, or the width of its spread, than another man who can measure it and number its branches, but neither possesses it, nor knows and loves him who created it, so it would be absurd to doubt that a true Christian, who in some sense possesses all this world of riches, and who having nothing yet possesses all things by cleaving unto you whom all things serve, is better, though he does not even know the circles of the great bear, than one who can measure the heavens and number the stars and balance the elements, if in all this he neglects you who have ordered all things in measure and number and weight. Chapter 5 Who then asked this man is to write of such things, when piety can be acquired without knowledge of them? For you have said unto man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Manes might very well have been totally without wisdom, even though he knew these things perfectly. But in that he had the impudence to presume to teach them when he did not know them, he obviously could not know fear of the Lord. For it is vanity to profess these worldly matters even when one knows them, but piety to confess unto you. Thus he had gone astray and had spoken much of these things, to the sole end that he might be convicted of ignorance by those who had learned them aright, 
and so his competence upon other more abstruse matters could be readily judged. He did not want to be thought little of, but tried to persuade men that the Holy Ghost, the comforter and enricher of your faithful, was resident in himself personally, with plenary authority. Therefore, when he was caught out in error about the sky and the stars and the movements of the sun and moon, though these things do not pertain to religious doctrine, yet his sacrilegious audacity was apparent in that he said things not only unknown to him, but plainly false, and in the swollen madness of his pride would have them credited to himself as to a divine person. Now when I see some brother Christian, any brother Christian, ignorant of these things and confusing one thing with another, I can look patiently upon such a man as he utters his opinion, and I do not see how it can hurt him to be ignorant of the place or condition of material things, provided he does not hold any belief unworthy of you, O Lord, Creator of all. But it does hurt him if he thinks that this pertains to the essence of pious doctrine and dares to uphold too obstinately things he does not know. Even this weakness in the first beginnings of a man's faith is borne patiently by charity, our mother, while the new man is rising unto a perfect man, so as not to be carried away with every wind of doctrine. But Manas had dared to set himself up as a teacher, source, guide, and leader of all whom he could convince in these matters, so that those who followed him believed that they were following no mere man, but your Holy Spirit. Once he was caught out in error, surely such madness could be seen only as detestable and utterly to be rejected. But I had not as yet clearly discovered whether the changes in the length of days and nights, and the alteration of night and day, and the eclipses of sun and moon, and other things of which I read in the books of the astronomers, could be explained along his lines. For if they could, even though it might still remain unproven whether the things were so or not, yet I was prepared to trust rather in his authority on account of his reputation for sanctity. Chapter 6 and for almost all those nine years in which without a settled mind I listened to the Manichees, I had looked forward with unbounded desire to the coming of this Faustus, for the others whom I had met, when they failed to find answers to the question of this sort I posed, promised me Faustus. On his arrival and by conference with him, these things would be most lucidly explained, together with any more important questions I might ask. When at last he came, I found him a pleasant man of pleasant speech, who rolled off the same kind of things that the others had said, with a great deal more charm. But for my thirst, of what use were the most attractive cup-bearer and the most precious cups? My ears had already had their fill of such stuff. It seemed to me no better merely because it was expressed better, nor true because eloquent. Nor did I feel that the soul must be wise because the face was attractive and the speech becoming. Obviously those who had promised him to me were not good judges of reality, and they thought him wise simply because they liked his speaking. As it happens, I have met just the opposite kind of man, who is suspicious of truth and unwilling to accept it if it is uttered in rich and ordered language. But you, O oh my God, had taught me in secret and marvelous ways, that it was you who taught me, I believe, for it is the truth, and there is no other teacher of truth save you, no matter where or when it may happen to shine. From you then I learned that a thing was not bound to be true because uttered eloquently, nor false because the utterance of the lips is ill-arranged. But that, on the other hand, a thing is not necessarily true because badly uttered, nor false because spoken magnificently. For it is with wisdom and folly as with wholesome and unwholesome food, just as either kind of food can be served equally well in rich dishes or simple, so plain or beautiful language may clothe either wisdom or folly indifferently. Therefore the eagerness with which I had so long awaited the man was well repaid by his action and attitude in disputation, and by the apt and fluent language in which he clothed his ideas. I was pleased, and I praised and extolled him, along with many another, indeed more loudly than most. But I was disappointed that, with his flock thronging around him, I was not allowed to address him and put him the questions that troubled me, and discuss them as man to man, and with comment back and forth. At last I was able to find opportunity, and with some of my friends I sought his attention at a time when we could properly exchange ideas. I mentioned certain questions that concerned me, and I found at once that the man was not learned in any of the liberal sciences save literature, and not especially learned even in that. He had read some of Cicero's speeches and a very few books of Seneca, some of the poets and such writings of his own sect as had been written in Latin and were not difficult. 
Over and above that, he had daily practice in oratory, and these combined to furnish his eloquence, which was rendered more pleasing and persuasive by the guidance of a good intelligence and a kind of grace that was natural to him. Is it not thus as I remember it, Lord my God, judge of my conscience? My heart and my memory are open before you, who were then acting in me by the hidden secret of your providence, and bringing my shameful errors before my face, that I might see them and hate them. Chapter 7 For when I realized that he was unlearned in those matters in which I had thought he excelled, I began to despair of his being able to clarify and solve for me the questions that troubled me. Though as I now realize, he might have been able to hold the truth of piety, even though he was a man of no learning, if he had not been a Manichaean. For their books are packed with long-winded nonsense about the sky and the stars and the sun and the moon, and I now saw that he could not with any profundity show me as I desired, as against the mathematical explanations I had read elsewhere, if the reality was still as the books of Manas had stated it, or if at least some explanation equally good could be drawn from them. When I set these questions out for consideration and discussion, he was too modest to presume to undertake the task. He knew that he did not know these things, and he was not ashamed to admit it. He was not one of those talkative people, of whom I had suffered many, who would undertake to teach me and say nothing. For he had a heart, which, though it was not right towards God, was reasonably cautious in the matter of himself. He was not entirely ignorant of his own ignorance, and he did not want rashly to get caught up in a dispute which he could not hope to win, and from which he could not gracefully retire. Even for this I liked him better. The modesty of a mind admitting incapacity is a finer thing than the knowledge I was in search of and thus I found him upon all more difficult and abstruse questions. The keenness with which I had studied the writings of Manas was thus somewhat blunted, and I was the more hopeless about their other doctors, now that, upon many matters which troubled me, the famous Faustus had shown so ill. But I began to see a good deal of him because of the very keen interest he had in literature, which at that time as professor of rhetoric I was teaching young students at Carthage. We read either books he wanted, because he had heard of them, or such as I thought suitable to his intelligence. But all my effort and determination to make progress in the sect simply fell away through my coming to know this man. Not that I separated myself from them entirely, but simply, not finding anything better than the course upon which I had somehow or other stumbled, I decided to look no further for the time unless something more desirable should chance to appear. Thus Faustus, who had been a snare that brought death to many, did without his knowledge or will begin to unbind the snare that held me. For thy hand, O my God, in the secret of thy providence, did not desert my soul, from the blood of my mother's heart, sacrifice for me was offered thee day and night by her tears, and thou didst act with me in marvelous ways. For it was thou, my God, who didst do it. For with the Lord shall the steps of a man be directed, and he shall like well his way. How shall we attain salvation, unless by thy hand thou dost remake what thou didst make? Chapter 8 It was by your action upon me that I was moved to go to Rome, and teach there what I had taught at Carthage. How I was persuaded to this I shall not omit to confess to you, because therein your most profound depths and your mercy ever present towards us are to be meditated upon and uttered forth. My reason for going to Rome was not the greater earnings and higher dignity promised by the friends who urged me to go, though at that time these considerations certainly influenced my mind. The principal and practically conclusive reason was that I had heard that youths there pursued their studies more quietly and were kept within a stricter limit of discipline. For instance, they were not allowed to come rushing insolently and at will into the school of one who was not their own master, nor indeed to enter it at all unless he permitted. At Carthage, the license of the students is gross and beyond all measure. They break in impudently and, like a pack of madmen, play havoc with the order which the master has established for the good of his pupils. They commit many outrages, extraordinarily stupid acts, deserving the punishment of the law if custom did not protect them. Their state is the more hopeless because what they do is supposed to be sanctioned, though by your eternal law it could never be sanctioned. And they think they do these things unpunished when the very blindness in which they do them is their punishment, so that they suffer things incomparably worse than they do. 
When I was a student, I would not have such habits in myself, but when I became a teacher, I had to endure them in others. And so I decided to go to a place where, as I had been told by all who knew, such things were not done. But you, O my hope and my portion in the land of the living, forced me to change countries for my soul's salvation. You pricked me with such goads at Carthage as drove me out of it, and you set before me certain attractions by which I might be drawn to Rome. In either case, using men who loved this life of death, one set doing lunatic things, the other promising vain things, and to reform my ways you secretly used their perversity and my own. For those who had disturbed my peace were blind in the frenzy of their viciousness, and those who urged me to go elsewhere savored of earth, while I, detesting my real misery in the one place, hoped for an unreal happiness in the other. Why I left the one country and went to the other, you knew, O God, but you did not tell either me or my mother. She indeed was in dreadful grief at my going, and followed me right to the seacoast. There she clung to me passionately, determined that I should either go back home with her, or take her to Rome with me, but I deceived her with the pretense that I had a friend whom I did not want to leave until he had sailed off with a fair wind. Thus I lied to my mother, and such a mother, and so got away from her. But this also you have mercifully forgiven me, bringing me from the waters of that sea, filled as I was with execrable uncleanness, unto the water of your grace, so that when I was washed clean, the floods that poured from my mother's eyes, the tears with which she daily watered the ground towards which she bent her face in prayer for me, should cease to flow. She would not return home without me, but I managed with some difficulty to persuade her to spend the night in a place near the ship where there was an oratory in memory of St. Cyprian. That night I stole away without her. She remained praying and weeping. And what was she praying for, O my God, with all those tears, but that you should not allow me to sail? But you saw deeper and granted the essential of her prayer. You did not do what she was at that moment asking, that you might do the thing she was always asking. The wind blew and filled our sails and the shore dropped from our sight. And the next morning she was frantic with grief, and filled your ears with her moaning and complaints, because you seemed to treat her tears so lightly, when in fact you were using my own desires to snatch me away for the healing of those desires, and were justly punishing her own too earthly affection for me with the scourge of grief. For she loved to have me with her, as is the way of mothers, but far more than most mothers, and she did not realize what joys you would bring her from my going away. She did not realize it, and so she wept and lamented, and by the torments she suffered showed the heritage of Eve in her, seeking with sorrow what in sorrow she had brought forth. But when she had poured out all her accusation at my cruel deception, she turned once more to prayer to you for me. She went home, and I to Rome. Chapter 9 Rome welcomed me with the scourge of bodily illness, and I very nearly went to hell, bearing all the weight of deadly sins which I had committed against you and myself and other men, over and above the bond of original sin whereby we all die in Adam. For you had not yet forgiven any of my sins in Christ, nor had he yet by his cross healed the enmity which I had contracted towards you by them. How indeed could they be healed by the cross of a phantom, which at that time I thought him? The death of my own soul was as real as the death of his body seemed to me false, and the life of my soul was as false, since on this matter it was in error, as the death of his body was real. My fever grew worse, and I was very close to going off to perdition. For where should I have gone if I had departed then, save to fire and torments such as my deeds deserved in the justice of your ordinance? My mother was far away and knew nothing of my illness, but she prayed on for me. You who are present everywhere heard her where she was, and had compassion on me where I was, so that I recovered the health of my body, though still far from health in my sacrilegious heart. For great as that peril had been, I did not ask for your baptism, and I was better as a boy in that I had begged it of my mother's piety, as I have already related and confessed. But I had grown rooted into my shame, and knew in folly scorned your healing precepts, who had saved me from double death in my sins. Had my mother's heart been pierced by that wound, it would never have been made whole. I have no words to express the love she had for me, and with how much more anguish she was now in spiritual travail of me than when she had borne me in the flesh. 
I cannot see how she could have been healed if my death in sin had come to pierce the deepest heart of her love. And where would then have been those urgent and ceaselessly repeated prayers? Nowhere but with you. But would you, O God of mercy, despise the contrite and humble heart of that chaste and pious widow, so generous in almsgiving, so ready in the service of your saints, who let no day pass without attending the sacrifice at your altar, and came twice a day with never an exception, morning and evening, to your church, not to listen to idle tales and the gossip of the women, but that she might hear you in your discourses, and you her in her prayers. You could not despise and withhold your help from the tears with which she begged of you, not gold and silver, nor any changing fleeting good, but the salvation of my soul, for it was by your gift that she was what she was. Rather, Lord, you were ever at hand to hear her, and do all in the order that you had predestinated. It could not be that you should deceive her in those visions and answers, those I have mentioned and others I have not mentioned. She laid them up in her faithful heart, and again and again reminded you of them in her prayers, as of things written with your own hand. Because your mercy endures forever, you deign, when you forgive any soul all its debts, to become yourself a debtor by your promises. Chapter 10 Thus you brought me out of that sickness and healed the son of your handmaid in his body, that he might live on to receive a better and surer way of health. Had Rome I again associated with those deceived and deceiving holy ones, not only with the hearers, like the man in whose house I had fallen sick and recovered, but also with those whom they call the elect. For I still held the view that it was not we that sinned, but some other nature sinning in us. And it pleased my pride to be beyond fault, and when I did any evil not to confess that I had done it, that you might heal my soul because it had sinned against you. I very much preferred to excuse myself and accuse some other thing that was in me, but was not I. But in truth I was holy, I. It was my impiety that had divided me against myself. My sin was all the more incurable because I thought I was not a sinner, and my iniquity was most execrable in that I would rather have you, God Almighty, vanquished in me to my destruction than myself vanquished by you for my salvation. You had not then as yet set a watch before my mouth and a door round about my lips, that my heart might not incline to evil words to make excuses and sins with men that work iniquity, and therefore was I still united with their elect. All the same, because I despaired of finding any profit in that false doctrine, I began to hold slackly and carelessly even the ideas with which I had decided to rest content while I could find nothing better. The notion began to grow in me that the philosophers whom they call academics were wiser than the rest, because they held that everything should be treated as matter of doubt, and affirmed that no truth can be understood by men. For so it seemed clear to me that they thought, and so they are commonly held to teach, though I did not yet understand their real meaning. And I did not neglect to dissuade my host from the excessive confidence that I saw he had in the fables with which the books of Manes are packed. All the same I was much more in their company than in the company of others who were not of their heresy. I did not defend it with my earlier keenness, yet the friendship of these men, of whom Rome shelters a great number, made me slower to seek any other, especially since I had no hope of being able to find the truth in your church, O Lord of heaven and earth, creator of all things visible and invisible. For they had turned me against it, and it seemed to me degrading to believe that you had the shape of our human flesh and were circumscribed within the bodily outlines of our limbs. When I desired to think of my God, I could not think of him save as a bodily magnitude, for it seemed to me that what was not such was nothing at all. This indeed was the principal and practically the sole cause of my inevitable error. Because of this, I thought that the substance of evil was in some sense similar, and had its own hideous and formless bulk, either gross which they called earth, or thin and tenuous like the air, for they imagine it to be some malignant mind creeping over the earth. And because such poor piety as I had constrained me to hold that the good God could not have created any nature evil, I supposed that there were two opposing powers, each infinite, yet the evil one lesser and the good one greater, and from this abominable foundation other sacrilegious notions followed. When my mind tried to find help in the Catholic faith, it was beaten back, because the Catholic faith is not what I thought it was. 
It seemed to me more reverent, O my God, whom your mercies in me glorify, to hold you infinite in all other parts, even if I must confess you finite in that part where the power of evil was set against you, than to imagine you finitely contained in all your parts in the shape of a human body. And it seemed better to believe that you had never created evil, than to believe that anything of the nature that I thought evil was should be from you. In my ignorance I thought of evil not simply as some kind of substance, but actually as bodily substance, because I had not learned to think of mind save as a more subtle body, extended in space as bodies are. I thought of our Savior himself, your only begotten Son, as brought forth for our salvation from the mass of your most luminous substance, and I could believe nothing of him unless I could picture it in my own vain imagination. I argued that such a nature could not possibly be born of the Virgin Mary unless it were mingled with her flesh, and I could not see how that which I had thus figured to myself could be mingled and not defiled. Thus I feared to believe the word made flesh, lest I be forced to believe the word defiled by flesh. I have no doubt that your spiritual ones will smile at me, though kindly and lovingly, to read these confusions of my thought. But such I then was. Chapter 11 Furthermore, I thought it quite impossible to defend certain things which the Manichees had criticized in your scriptures, but I did by now quite honestly desire to discuss these things one by one with someone learned in scripture and find out what he made of them. For the speech of one Elpidius, who had spoken and disputed face to face against the Manichees, had already begun to affect me at Carthage, when he produced arguments from Scripture which were not easy to answer. And the answer they gave seemed to me feeble. Indeed, they preferred not to give it in public, but only among ourselves in private. The answer being that the Scriptures of the New Testament had been corrupted by some persons unknown who wished to graft the law of the Jews upon the Christian faith. Yet the Manichaeans made no effort to produce uncorrupted copies. But I was held captive and stifled by these bodily masses, for I still thought corporeally. I panted under their weight for the clear, pure air of your truth, but still I could not breathe it. Chapter 12 I began diligently to set about that for which I had come to Rome, namely the teaching of rhetoric. First I gathered some few at my house, and by them I began to become known. And then I learned that Rome had its drawbacks which I had not had to suffer in Africa. For it is true that the riotous incursions of blackguardly youngsters did not happen here, but, so I was warned, at a given moment a number of students plan together to cheat their master of his fees and go off to some other master, for they are utterly faithless and hold justice cheap compared with love of money. My heart hated them, and not with righteous hatred, for pretty surely I hated them more because of what I myself had to suffer from them than for the wrong they did to teachers generally. Such students are indeed depraved. They fornicate against you, O God, in loving the fleeting temptations of time and the filthy cash which soils the hand that holds it, and in embracing this passing world to the scorn of you who abide and ever call them, pardoning the adulterous soul of man when it returns to you. I still hate such vicious and perverse creatures, but I love them as subjects for amendment, souls who might be brought to love the lessons they learn more than money, and you, God, the truth and fullness of assured good and most chaste peace more than the lessons. But at that time I disliked them for the harm they did me more than I wished them to become good for your sake. Chapter 13 When therefore a message from Milan came to Rome to the prefect, asking for a professor of rhetoric for that city, and arranging for public funds to cover his journey, I applied for the post with support from men far gone in the follies of the Manichees, the purpose of my journey being to quit of them, though neither they nor I realized it. The prefect Symmachus approved of a public oration I delivered for the occasion, and sent me. So I came to Milan, to the bishop and devout servant of God, Ambrose, famed among the best men of the whole world, whose eloquence did then most powerfully minister to thy people the fatness of thy wheat and the joy of thy oil and the sober intoxication of thy wine. All unknowing, I was brought by God to him, that knowing I should be brought by him to God. That man of God received me as a father, and as bishop welcomed my coming. I came to love him, not at first as a teacher of the truth, which I had utterly despaired of finding in your church, but for his kindness towards me. 
I attended carefully when he preached to the people, not with the right intention, but only to judge whether his eloquence was equal to his fame, or whether it flowed higher or lower than had been told me. His words I listened to with greatest care, his matter I held quite unworthy of attention. I enjoyed the charm of his speaking, though for all his learning it was not so pleasing and captivating as that of Faustus. I refer, of course, only to the actual speaking, for the rest there was no comparison at all. Faustus was simply straying about among the fallacies of the Manichees. Ambrose taught the doctrine of salvation most profitably. But salvation is far from sinners, of the sort that I then was. Yet little by little I was drawing closer, though I did not yet realize it. Chapter 14 Thus I did not take great heed to learn what he was saying, but only to hear how he said it. That empty interest was all I now had, since I despaired of man's finding the way to you. Yet along with the words which I admired, there also came into my mind the subject matter, to which I attached no importance. I could not separate them. And while I was opening my heart to learn how eloquently he spoke, I came to feel, though only gradually, how truly he spoke. First I began to realize that there was a case for the things themselves, and I began to see that the Catholic faith, for which I had thought nothing could be said in the face of the Manichaean objections, could be maintained on reasonable grounds. This especially after I had heard explained figuratively several passages of the Old Testament which had been a cause of death for me when taken literally. Many passages of these books were expounded in a spiritual sense, and I came to blame my own hopeless folly in believing that the law and the prophets could not stand against those who hated and mocked at them. I did not yet feel that the Catholic way was to be followed, merely because it might have some learned men to maintain it and answer objections adequately and not absurdly, nor did I think that what I had so far held was to be condemned because both views were equally defensible. In fact, the Catholic side was clearly not vanquished, yet it was not clearly victorious. I then bent my mind to see if I could, by any clear proofs, convict the Manichaeans of error. If only I had been able to conceive of a substance that was spiritual, all their strong points could have been broken down and cast forth from my mind. But I could not. Concerning the body of this world and the whole of that nature which our bodily senses can attain to, I thought again and again and made many comparisons, and I still judge that the views of so many of the philosophers were more probable. So in what I thought to be the manner of the academics, that is to say, doubting of all things and wavering between one and another, I decided that I must leave the Manichees, for in that time of doubt I did not think I could remain in a sect to which I now preferred certain of the philosophers. Yet I absolutely refused to entrust the care of my sick soul to the philosophers, because they were without the saving name of Christ. I determined then to go on as a catechumen in the Catholic Church, the church of my parents, and to remain in that state until some certain light should appear by which I might steer my course.